Our second reading today comes to us from the 31st chapter of Proverbs, verses 10 through 31. A capable wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings food from far away. She rises while still night and provides food for her household and tasks for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to her, she puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid for her household when it snows, for all her household are clothed in crimson. She makes herself coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the city gates, taking his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies the merchant with sashes. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her happy, her husband too, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her a share in the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the city gates. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, today we are continuing our summer sermon series on overlooked or forgotten women of the Bible. And the woman of Proverbs 31 is one that actually does appear in the lectionary. Most of the passages we've looked at this summer have not. But if you've heard a sermon preached on this, it's probably been on Mother's Day, maybe at a a woman's funeral. But other than that, in at least Protestant uh, faiths, it's often overlooked, forgotten, skipped by. And a lot of the reason for that is it sets almost an impossible standard. Many preachers, many theologians throughout history have used this to set a standard of what a wife should be. And if we think about it, it does almost sound like a budding mother-in-law's list of the who her perfect son should marry. 
Well, she's good at business. She's strong. She provides for the house. She's up before dawn making breakfast. She makes slashes, sashes and crimson garments and linens. I mean, the list goes on and on. And it's, it's a, something that no human woman can meet. It's, it's something that no one can achieve to. But it's used to tell women what they should do, who they should be, what their place is. Your place is in the house providing for your husband, cooking, cleaning, supervising the household chores. But I'm not sure that that's what this passage is all about. What if this passage isn't a long list of what a woman should strive to be? But what if it's given us a different way of looking at God? When you picture God, what do you see? What does God look like to you? This is an actual question. Long hair, I heard. Long hair. Maybe a white beard. You know, if we picture God in human form, we might picture from the Sistine Chapel, the, the man reaching out across the screen. But I think we, we miss the boat if we just limit ourselves to looking at God that way. So many times we start our prayers, Heavenly Father. And that's because God, or Jesus called God Abba, Father. And I remember there are two children's sermons that I'll never forget. The first was when I was an intern in seminary, and it's because it went terribly awry, and I had no clue what I was doing, and pretty soon the children were running the church. <laughs> the second one was one I never gave. It was on Father's Day, and I was prepared to go in and talk about how God is like the ultimate father, and I called the children forward, and I looked at them. And I saw one child who had never known his father. I saw another child whose father had recently abandoned her and her mother. I saw another child who was the the product of divorce and did not have a good relationship with her father. I saw another one whose father had just been arrested for child pornography. And my mind went blank. I said, I cannot talk to these children about how God is like a father because of their relationships with their father. So I think it's very important that we don't limit our understanding of God to one that is male. If we think about male and female, do any of us really believe that God has XY chromosomes? After all, that's what makes us male. Or do we believe that God is greater than male or female? That God is something bigger than we imagine? I think there are many reasons why it's important that we don't limit our understanding to God as male. I think first, there are many people that have poor relationships with their fathers or with their men in their lives. And if we limit our understanding to God as father, it could damage their relationship with God. They might worry that that God will abandon them as their father did, that God might be abusive as their father was. That God might be cold and aloof. I think many women have been and people have been victimized by men. And they might feel that God, if we treat God that way, that they might fall victim 
to God. I think it's important for little girls as well as little boys, for women as well as men, to be able to say, I was created in God's image. That I am created specifically by God. That I am beloved by God. And when we define God strictly as male, we lock out women. We lock out little girls. I don't know that I'd have the strength and the power to stand up here and preach each week, to study the scriptures, to enter in prayer, if I could not get down on my knees and look Hannah in the eyes and say, you are created in God's image and truly believe it. Several years ago, the book The Shack was released. Last year, it was made into a movie and it stirred all sorts of controversy because in the book and in the movie, a man encounters God in the Trinitarian form. And when he meets God, the creator, God appears as a woman. This is the scene from the movie. That is God from the movie, The Shack. And many people got upset, rose up, said there is no way that God can be a woman. I think it's important that we realize that God is both male and female and is neither male or female. The most important reason why we don't limit our understanding of God to male is because it's scriptural. In the scriptures, there are many more references to God as male than as female, but that's because it was a more patriarchal society that men were lifted up and women were owned as property. But that doesn't stop Jesus from describing God as a mother hen gathering her brood under her wings. It doesn't stop Paul from describing the pangs of childbirth as the world was created. It doesn't stop Isaiah's describing God as a woman in labor, panting and groaning with pain. There are two creation stories in the book of Genesis, and the one is the one that we focus on more, where God created Adam and then created Eve out of the rib of Adam. But the first story in Genesis says that God created humanity, both male and female, in God's image. Both male and female in God's image. And so we look to God and see more than just a male, more than just a man. And I think that's key in understanding our passage today from the 31st chapter of Proverbs. This woman who's lifted up as a capable wife. This woman who preachers and theologians have told women, this is who you should aspire to be. And instead we see an image of God that we should all aspire to. This woman's characteristics, this woman that makes her someone to be looked up to. She provides for her household. She provides clothing, whether it's summer or winter. She provides food. She looks out to her safety. Jesus tells us that as sure as God put the lilies in the field, God will look after us. God will provide for us. God provided manna in the desert for the Israelites. Just as the woman from the 31st Proverbs provide, so God will provide. 
The woman from the 31st Proverbs speaks wisdom and knowledge. Just as God imparts wisdom and knowledge through the Holy Spirit. She provides security for her household. Just as God watches over us. She reaches out to the poor and the needy with an open hand. Just as God cares for the downtrodden and those who are forgotten among us. And teaches us to do the same. She loves her family. She loves her household. Her family, her husband, her children come and praise her name just as we as God's children come together to praise God's name. I think this passage can be used to put women in their place, to tell them they don't belong, to get back in the kitchen, so to say. But I think this passage is so much more than that. This passage isn't something that women should ascribe to, but all people, men and women together, should ascribe to, because this passage describes God's relationship to us. This passage is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a capable wife, one who provides for her family, one who plants a vineyard, one who provides crimson clothing in the winter, who creates fine linens, who runs the business and makes sure that her family is cared for, who reaches out to the poor and the needy. Does that sound out of place if Jesus were to tell it as a parable? When we look at this passage as one describing what a woman should be, we're missing the point. We're getting it wrong. This passage is giving us another way to look at God. To describing God as a parable of helping us to understand who God is and what our relationship is to him or her. I know many pastors, myself included, that often try not to use masculine language for God. If you'll notice, very rarely do I start my prayers with Holy Father, at least my public prayers, because I think it's important that we don't just think of God as a father. I had one professor in seminary that went completely the other way. She said, I only pray to God the mother, because for thousands of years, God was prayed to as the father, and it's the woman's turn. And I felt like that was missing the point. Because we shouldn't look at God as just mother either, but as both father and mother. As one who provides for us, one who loves us, one who cares for us. And when we look at this passage as an image of God, we don't find guilt. We don't find shame. We don't find a list that we'll never live up for. But instead we find a parable of love that tells us that God is building a house where grace abounds. Amen.